Hello, welcome to my podcast, I'm a Mum, Fix My Life. I'm Antonia Jones, and today I'm joined by mom of one, Rebecca Oxterby, who is the author of the best-selling book, Mum's the Word, which is rated number five with phenomenal reviews on Amazon. This podcast is a follow-up to our episode called Single and Pregnant. However, this time we're talking about Rebecca's very own trials and tribulations of the first year of parenthood, while in a relationship delving into the hidden world of new mumdom. And in the words of Rebecca, this conversation will be hilariously funny and brutally honest, which will be a relief to all mums as every birth, child and experience of parenting is different in its own right. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So before we get into your amazing book, it would be great to find out more about you. So I know that you're a specialist speech and language therapist. So that'd be good to find out more about your experiences as a mum and what yeah. you do. Yeah. Um, so prior to Isabel, I trained as a speech and language therapist. We are dual trained. So we train in adults and paediatrics. And I've gone down the road of working with adults. So I'm now the clinical lead for the stroke service um, for speech and language therapy. So I deal with patients who've got communication difficulties and swallowing difficulties after a stroke um and then I went on maternity leave kind of middle of 2019 and then that's when not only my life turned upside down but I decided to take on the role of an author as well by writing the book that's amazing I I read that and during maternity leave there is lots to go through as as a parent as well so it's juggling all of the you know your your daily routine your your changes within your body your mm. your time schedules your partner everything so what for you were the highs and the lows initially after giving birth i think what surprised me the most and what continues to surprise me and definitely what i would do differently if I were to have another baby is the amount of visitors post birth and I'm talking like hours post birth (laughs) I think everybody in the world feels like they're entitled to come and see this new child um and then they don't ever turn up again like obviously we've got fabulous family members who came and still continue to support us to this day but there are people who turned up or I speak about this in the book, people who were angry with me because I would cancel on them because I was exhausted on about two hours sleep. I I just, it blows my mind the privilege that people feel that they're entitled to when you have a baby. So yeah, I think that was one of the lows. I found that really difficult. Danny and I had a visitor every day for six weeks when Isabel was first born and it's my own fault because I should have just said no but at the time you are very vulnerable aren't you and you want to please everybody else rather than yourself so I I don't know how we did it but we did and then now not one bloody person turns up nobody comes to see us anymore (laughs) that's always the case isn't it you just get everyone around your home and you've got bearing some gifts as well and what it is for new mums it is hard because if you're tired you've got to usually have this smiling face Mm. you fix your hair and just want to make sure you're presentable at the same time so it is difficult but it is important to say no if you're tired and I I really identify with that and I'm sure many mums 
do as well, even with children who are over one as well, because your lifestyles are pretty busy. So that's a, this is quite unique because I've never spoken about this before. No, I, I found the visiting thing really difficult. But I think postpartum, say when we get to about three months, I found, and this is going to sound awful and I don't want to put parents off who are expecting, but I found it really, really underwhelming. I found it really boring some days because the novelty of having a brand new child had worn off. The kind of routine is there. You don't get the visitors anymore. And I just, I would sit there every day. The TV had become really dull. You know, like when you're off sick and you think, oh, this is great, I'm going to watch this morning. And then after you've watched this morning for a week, you think, oh my God, I can't watch this anymore. I really, really struggled with not having anything to do, but also feeling really stuck in the house. Um, And I didn't expect that at all. I expected to be overwhelmed. I expected to feel like we had loads to do and nothing was ever enough. But going from being a busy career woman where you're constantly on the ward, you're constantly surrounded by buzzers and staff who you need to support, to then being sitting in the house on your own with a baby... It, it was just a massive changing point. And I think that was something I found really difficult that nobody told me, I would think. Yep. And definitely that is like a culture shock because it's just this drastic change to your life. And it's about balancing that. It's so mind blowing that actually there's a massive build up, And I remember sitting there and thinking, oh my God, this is my life now. I can't leave the house without taking 20 minutes to pack a bag and planning feeds and sleep and everything else. I just felt really suffocated in a way. And now it's different because when we leave the house, it's easier to go. It's, you know what you need in the bag. But So how old is your daughter now? She's 15 months. But I just found it really interesting watching her language develop because of my job, I think. I find it fascinating when you ask her to go and find her shoes and then she comes back with a pair of shoes and you're like, oh my God, she actually understands. Wow, that is amazing. And so it's that's a whole new world to me as well, the speech and language therapy. And in the past, I have worked in health and social care and have been around the therapist before, but I haven't actually worked within the, the sessions. And for, for some children as well who are finding it difficult to speak that this mm. process you have programs for them and tell us more about that do you have uh, for any parents as well and there's that kind of stigma again if my child can't speak before the age of one or say a few words or boys are again they they're a bit slower than girls it's all of that. And then parents feel like they're not doing enough and then it becomes competitive and comparing their children to other children. What's your experience been like? Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with the comparison thing. And that's one piece of advice that I would give to any parent is to not compare your child because it's really toxic. And I know it's really easy to do. And I, I speak about this in the book where no matter what, another child is doing even if you don't care that your child can do it or not it it plays in your head subconsciously and you think oh my god I need to teach her how to clap because such and such can clap or I need to teach her how to to touch their nose because I've seen some other kid do that it is really every child develops at a completely different stage and I think for language development 
the one thing that I am really, really passionate about and the one thing I'd tell parents who are maybe struggling with their child's language development is to just flood them with language. Talk about what you're doing all the time. So, oh, wow, mummy's just washing the dishes. Do you want to help me wash the dishes? There's a spoon over there. Why don't you give me that spoon? And just surround them with language all the time. It doesn't need to be sitting on the floor doing phonics. It doesn't need to be structured activity. It can just be, we're in the car. What can you see out of the window? Can you see that truck? And that is constantly giving them language because you're labelling everything in their environment. They need to understand what everything is before they can say it. So the more you label things, the easier it'll be. But yeah, I know I know the, the pressures of language development and I've had a few people, and to be honest, it, it's not my specialism that at all. I'm kind of adults with um, acquired disorders, so post-stroke. But that's from my experience and from my training you have to just surround them with language all the time. That's amazing advice as well. So hopefully mums will have that comfort to know that it's not about this comparison. So we talked about the lows of your own experience. What were the highs of your experience of being at home throughout the, the time while you were on maternity leave? I think... And I suppose this is reflected a little bit in lockdown, um, what people might have experienced through the pandemic. The time to stop still and look at your life in a different way. We've come out of the rat race and we're not kind of going into work every day, keeping on with the nine to five. It was really nice for me to stop and to just spend some time having a cuddle on the couch sitting and playing with the baby, sitting and looking at her and examining her face and her eye contact and things like that. It was just nice for us to have a slower pace of life, even though I did struggle with the balance between it being too slow for me and kind of a nice level of peace in a way. Over to your book. So you becoming an author during your maternity leave after the birth of your daughter with your partner. And this is when you decided to come up with the amazing concept for Mums the Word. So your book lays it all bare, as you say, with no filters, no frills for mums using parenting memoirs from yourself, which is as real as this gets. So tell us about that. How did you feel having to kind of expose yourself um, and be so honest and kind of brutal and you have mentioned that mums are not told some things you know there isn't a book on how to be a parent and you put it nicely but I, I won't. <laughs> so I'm just trying to summarize it like I, I agree with you yeah I think um when I was pregnant, I was given so many parenting books that said, you need to get your baby sleep trained. You need to wrap them in a, what they call swaddle. You need to wear a sling. You don't need to wear a sling. Don't wear a sling. It was genuinely the most confusing time because no matter what book you read, everything told you to do something differently. And they put a lot of pressure on. So it was like, if you don't do this, then your baby will not sleep or will not latch on when you're breastfeeding. And, when it came down to it, I was like, none of this advice is useful because the baby does its own thing. I think that's what I found most difficult about um, maternity leave, actually. I've always had a lot of control. I've always been knowledgeable about what I'm doing in my job and having control over like my finances, the house, things like that. So for a baby to come in and go against everything that the book said, I was like, well, what do I do now? Because 
she has decided to take control and she's not sticking by the book. She's not read this bloody parenting manual, so she doesn't know what to do, even if I do. So then I started writing down um, some of the things that, like, nobody tells you that the weird belly button thing falls off. Nobody told me that. So when I come home with this big crocodile clip on this gaping hole in their stomach, I was like, oh my God, what a moment. Am I allowed to bath her? Am I not allowed to bath her? Even now, my husband says to me all the time, are we allowed to give her this? And I'm like, Danny, she's our kid. We can do what we want. But I think it's really scary because the advice is so pushed on you all the time that you genuinely don't know what you're allowed to do and what you're not. So when I started writing down the the things that I'd come across and the the thoughts in my mind about well this is different nobody told you you feel this way about your body nobody told you that you don't bounce back and go back into all of those clothes that are in your wardrobe I started documenting them in my phone and I suppose because I like writing and I like language it fit really nicely for me to just start documenting these in a bit of a a larger format and before I knew it it became a book I spoke to my my sister-in-law who is a copy editor and I said will you just read this for me is it any good or is it just me having a breakdown and she said no you, you need to publish this it's really funny so then I sent it out to a few parents and they were all in agreement they said these are the things that nobody tells you nobody has the guts to say these things out loud to say that some days it's boring or your child is driving you insane because you're meant to love it all of the time that's what society tells you you're right so right about that because it's just kind of you've got this picture you must be this parent and it's focused around the practical side of how to maintain your mental health how to look Mm. after the baby in the correct way feeding sleeping times but the emotional part I think if we knew our lives and we knew the, the ins and outs we probably wouldn't have any children and would run away <laughs> so imagine writing all that and and also it can't be contained can it because every experience is different so yeah that, I definitely get what you're saying and, and we do need this so I'm so happy that you have come up with this amazing concept Thank you. I think there's a few books out there like Sarah Turner on Mumsy Mum. That's brilliant and it is really, really funny. But a lot of these books are focused on the toddler age and I couldn't find a book that spoke about newborns and how to deal with those very, very early days when you are absolutely exhausted, you don't know what you're doing. It was it was like there was a massive gap, not only a gap in the market, but just a gap in advice for mums and I thought well I'll take it on board myself to to document these and to try and share what's really relatable but also what's really honest about parenthood because it it wasn't all rosy for me and that's like everything with everyone life isn't rosy we have our Instagram feeds our social media such as Facebook or um, LinkedIn and we can paint this amazing picture that our lives are fantastic but if we were to post the the real reality of what is going on then that would help a lot of uh, mums and people in general 
who are going through different struggles and challenges. Going on to this podcast, which we did, our last podcast was called Single and Pregnant, but you didn't start a solo parenting journey as you are in a stable relationship. So there's often a concept that having a partner is much easier than being a single parent. It would be good to hear your side of the story, but I do appreciate that every relationship is very different as well. Yeah, um, Danny and I have been together since I was 16, so I'm 29 now. We've um, we've been together for quite a while, and I, I, I don't know, I suppose we followed the traditional path of get together, get married, have a baby, um, get a house and all of that. So in, how can I put it, in traditional terms we had everything going for us to have that child and everything work out perfectly and what really comes as a shock to me was how difficult it was for our relationship and how much it changed our relationship my husband is is a brilliant father and he's a brilliant husband but ultimately when you have a child and that person becomes more important and more loved than the partner that you've been with I found it really, really difficult, and so did he, because you you become second best. And I think he and I, for a very long time, weren't perfect with one another. We were just existing next to one another because the baby was a priority. Um, and it it really took probably my brother. I think my brother said to me, "You're both miserable," and I was like, "Yeah, I know." And he come round and he used to look after his well, so me and Danny could go out together and get that relationship back. But it's it's definitely not straightforward, even if you do exactly what tradition tells you and fall into that category of the happy family with the marriage, the beautiful house and the, the childhood sweetheart. Having a child changes everything. And that's so right as you say that and this idea that this happy family and many single parents could be walking around or being in environments where they see this idea of this happy family but it's just acknowledging that everyone goes through their own challenges and struggles and by not comparing themselves to one another and we are all going through the same challenges and struggles because Mm -hmm. we all have children we have to look after them and raise them and they all have different experiences. So it's just, it's a straightforward thing. We need to raise them in the correct way in the best way that we can. And having a partner um, in the home is uh, another kind of spin. It can even be, they could be an ex- another child. Yeah, <laughs> or- <laughs> absolutely. Uh, genuinely, like they just make more washing and make more mess. That is what a partner in the home is. <laughs> So then that's how I see it is like this conversation is actually this is some kind of comfort <laughs> to <single laughs> as well and also to married mums as well who want might want to be single <laughs> actually it's okay we're all doing the same thing so um, it's good to hear your side of the story as well and uh, so also I would like to like let's begin to unpick your book Mums the Word using your own experience to help put the mind of mums at ease in that first year from birth to year one and it'd be good to find out about your own kind of the way you've dealt with things so let's start off with the time when you and your partner nearly broke the baby and she nearly broke you I don't know what you meant by that but it'd be good to find out (laughs) 
I think just generally, like, how are you meant to know what you're doing? How do you know how to bath these children? How do you know when to put them to bed? It really surprised me just how difficult it is. And then she nearly broke us, definitely. She, I think, and Danny will be fine with me saying this, like, there was points when we thought, right, this is it. This is too difficult. I don't think we value how much pressure a child puts on a relationship or a, a lifestyle in general. One of the things that I think she nearly broke me with was the guilt that I felt. So I, I felt grief for my own life. I felt grief for the fact that I couldn't go traveling anymore. I, I put in the book, I feel sad that I can't jump on a plane and go to Sri Lanka and go backpacking for six months. Even though I didn't want to do that, I feel sad now because I can't. And I think it's the the freedom that's taken away from me that I found really difficult. But then I'd feel hugely guilty that I felt that because this should be the best thing in the world. And I... I don't know whether you know this, Danny and I had fertility treatment for Isabel, so I don't have periods, I don't ovulate, so we needed drug treatment to kickstart that process. And I've been in the fertility clinics with women who are desperate to have a baby. And I I want it to be really clear that when we have these conversations about how difficult parenthood is, it's never said with, so we don't want our children that it goes without saying that we love our children but it's okay to say that it's still hard I think people are made to feel guilty because they should love having a child because it's a blessing I know definitely with my own um my own body I I, I don't begrudge Isabel for the changes it's not her fault but i I grieve my old body. I wish that I could still fit into my size 10 jeans. <laughs> and though I could do exercise to sort that out, I'm not in a mindset to do that. I, I miss eating 12 bars of chocolate and still being a size 10 because that was my metabolism before and that's gone now and I miss that. It just goes out the window, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> no, no, we definitely get that. There's some more. <laughs> I've been asking. <laughs> so you've got... The horrors of um, it's a partum um, perineal massage as well. (laughs) God. So I don't know if you went to um, antenatal classes, but they start this thing now where they'll tell you that you need to massage your perineum, which if you don't know is the bit between your lady bit and they'll tell you every day that you need to massage that in preparation for birth now I was lucky because I ended up having a c-section so nothing came out that way um but I remember sitting in that class with Danny and the woman really casually mentioning that we need to do perineal massage and Danny looked at me like oh am I gonna get a massage like he had no idea what they were talking about and I was like no that that's the gooch bit below that we need to start. And I, I, it was the most awkward situation. And I know we're meant to be grown-ups for having children. You lose your dignity completely when you have a child. But it's how insane the world goes when all of a sudden this strange woman who you've never met before sits you in a room of people and tells you to massage bits down below that you didn't even know existed. 
<laughs> no, no, that that is just completely, this is completely new to me as well. So <laughs> I can imagine all the partners sitting in the room thinking, this is a little bit uncomfortable. So yeah. <laughs> he was like, am I meant to do it? Are you meant to do it? I was like, I don't know. Don't come near me, please. Just <laughs> I'll do it myself. <laughs> wow. So what does this massage actually do then does it help with to help you to feel relaxed apparently it's meant to help prevent tears um for a vaginal birth I have no evidence base for that because like I say I've had a c-section but if somebody knows that it works then it might be worthwhile doing this I mean they advise it all the time there's some kind of weird vibrating thing that you can do that massages it in the same way to prevent tears there are Things that I think people are told that just blow my mind that you would never know until you're pregnant. God, and baby brain as well. I really struggled with baby brain. I remember being pregnant and Danny coming home from work and him saying, what are you you doing for tea? He doesn't normally ask that. He normally cooks the tea, but I'd put something in the oven and it smelled like burning. (laughs) And he went into the kitchen and I'd left chicken on top of the stove and I'd put a tea towel in the oven and was cooking a tea towel and he's like oh my god you're gonna kill us all but yeah baby brain is definitely a real thing that's a new one (laughs) wow (laughs) but these things happen I don't know if baby brain ever goes away and also at least we're agreed on this that baby brain continues (laughs) sorry mum oh god yeah (laughs) it doesn't stop I'm just going to use it as an excuse for the rest of my life I think that is a good one (laughs) so what about losing every shred of dignity during birth for all mums every experience is different and not one size fits all yeah um so Isabel was breech so at 37 weeks we were told that I was going to have a planned section so I never went into labour so I can't even really comment on that aspect of it but I I remember lying in bed after the section and you can't feel from your boobs down at all you cannot move your legs and this woman just kept coming over and she was lovely but she'd just every so often say can I just have a look and she'd lift the blanket up and she'd look at me from down below and I couldn't sit up to see what she was looking at and I just thought this is odd, isn't it? I'm just lying here naked from the waist down and this woman just keeps coming and looking over at my bits and then walking away and I don't know what she's looking for or at. Um, but yeah, new new situations that you'll never find yourself in. Yeah, I suppose it's, uh, there is no dignity after a baby. For women, we have to go for smear tests and yeah. so many different health um, checks and for, for many doctors and consultants, for them, it's just like a normal day's work. And so yeah. for us, it's just like, oh, no, we've got to go through this every day. But that's kind of how they feel. And it's just it's just thinking, right, actually, this is something that they're used to. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And it's we just have to go through it all. Absolutely. I think my first smear post, Isabel, I was just lying there, legs wide open, not caring in the world. Because I think when you've been through having a baby, it, it becomes the norm. But yeah, I think, I mean, it lasts two minutes, doesn't it, a smear? It's absolutely fine. And like you say, these people have seen so many vaginas that they genuinely don't care. They don't care whether you've shaved for them. They don't care 
what it looks like they're not bothered they're doing their job like everybody else that's it they have this this mission and that's it and especially with a smear test it's trying to detect any kind of health problems as well as cancer so it's very important for for mums to go and have that test done on a regular basis that's one thing mm. that I can't stress um, anymore and also to make sure you seek medical advice as well if you have any concerns about your health as well so that's quite interesting so what about the joy the fear the exhaustion and love that encompasses the transition to mum um with that comes a lot of mixed emotions at times when you've called um you've actually called this mum fails so i've never heard of this before <laughs> so we yeah. we have mum fails and we have many god yeah I, luckily actually i can't think of any recently that i've had um oh today what was funny about today i never thought that I would be the mum that would open up a packet of fruit or a packet of sweets or something in the middle of Asda. That was very much frowned upon when I was a kid. My mum used to tell me that, that we were never allowed to do that. And today I opened a packet of blueberries just so that Isabel would sit in the trolley. And it worked. This is genius. And at the end, I was very much like oh, making it really obvious to everybody that I'd paid because I didn't want it to look like I was stealing food. But it, it's definitely, that's the way forward now. I'm going to make sure that there's always food available so she sits down in the trolley. That is that is so important as well because you put them in that trolley and then that's it. Keep them occupied, let them munch yeah. away. <laughs> and it keeps it all going as well. So yeah. also you, you talk about, there's so many different topics in, in your book and I'm trying to cover as much as I can. And um, Also you talk about leaking breasts, that dilemma. So we've all been there. You know that feeling when you feel, oh no, it's going to leak. Have I got any breast pads? What do I do? <laughs> oh no, I'm wearing a white top. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I remember going to Chiquito's. Danny's mum was looking after Isabel for the day and it was probably the longest time we'd been away from her. So we went out in the morning, did a escape room with some of our friends and then we went out for dinner. And because I'd not fed her, even though I'd expressed and everything so that she had enough milk, my body wasn't aware that the baby wasn't with me. So the boobs were so sore and so engorged. And you're like, no, no, it's fine. Like there's no baby chill out, but they don't chill out. They just continue to leak constantly. And then when you hear a screaming baby, they leak even more. So it's, I had to hand express in the Chiquito's toilet because there was no other option. My boobs are absolutely massive. But when you're out, like when you're in the middle of a shop, you're like, what am I meant to do with this milk? So then you end up hand expressing it into a tissue and throwing it down the toilet. And if anybody's had to express before, they'll know how devastating it is when you have to throw milk away. It was just, it broke my heart. So so the advice is to wear black t-shirts and not yeah. white t-shirts <laughs> and loads of breast pads as well. Yeah, take what- loads of spare breast pads out with you. And then also you've got the, um, for the cracked nipples as well, there is special, is it chamomile cream as well? Uh, yeah, oh, I can't remember the name or something. It was absolutely brilliant and it worked, but the crack, the, I mean, I, I don't want to put people off being a parent. I actually really, really enjoyed breastfeeding and I was really lucky because Isabel latched on quite easily. But the start, they've never worked as others before. So when they do, it it's so painful to begin with that's my my advice actually if you do feel like you are having a stabbing rod pain right through the middle of your boob that is normal 
but it just, just plow through. It's okay. People will say, actually, I know, I know people will listen to that and they'll go, it's not normal to have pain. But I think right at the very start when you've never done it before, it's, yeah. it's not, it's okay for you to have that a little bit of curling toe pain because it is a brand new thing that you've done. I remember having to like <laughs> squeeze something as she latched on because it was awful. <laughs> it's actually like someone pinching you, the feeling, yeah. and they won't let go. <laughs> but, um, What's really odd that I didn't realise is how how smothered the baby needs to be to latch on. Because I remember them saying, it's not nipple feeding, it's breast feeding. Yeah. So you need to get them right, and the whole mouth is over the nipples. So they're very pushed onto you. And I remember when the, the midwife did it the first time, and I was like, oh, my God, you're going to suffocate her because she's just smothered right into your boob. But, yeah, definitely seek some advice for breastfeeding if you can. I'm not one of those people, and I want to make it really clear. If you bottle feed, formula feed, whatever, I don't care. It genuinely makes no difference. And I find people would say to me, because I was quite open breastfeeding in public, people would say, oh, I, I tried that, but then I had to go on to bottle because, and they justify themselves. And I'm like, please don't justify how you're feeding your child. Everybody is completely different. This worked for me and it was free. So I did it. If someone was going to give me free milk or I could make milk myself, then I'll do it. But yeah, just to stop judging people stop judging people for breastfeeding stop judging them for bottle feeding just you do you and I, I do like what you're saying about um as soon as you said breastfeeding in public again there has been a stigma about that mums feeding in public some mums mm. use a shawl to cover the baby and some people cannot stand this environment they get very uncomfortable but then it's like the baby's hungry what are you supposed to do like what can you do you have to feed the baby there and then yeah I I feel sorry for the mums who are nervous about letting people see things because ultimately you can't see anything that your whole nipple is in the baby's mouth they can't see you would have to really really want to see a nipple to be able to see a nipple like you you can't just see it from passing what I used to do was one up one down so I'd put a little vest on I'd lift I'd put a top over it lift that top up and pull the vest down and it'd leave just a little gap for the boob to come out and that way I could just feed anywhere that was really helpful one of my friends told me that um and it's cheaper than maternity breastfeeding clothes because they're really really expensive and also the shawls are very good as well and I did have a look online a while back and there are breastfeeding coaches as well so there's lots yeah. of resources and information out there for mums as well and even if someone is a new mum or if they are not a new mum all the experiences are different again. So you might think, right, I had this easy pregnancy and everything was perfect. And then you go for your second child and then the experiences are slightly different. So it's kind of like mums take every day as it comes, take every experience mm. as it comes and not to compare too much. I'd be a real hypocrite to say all of that stuff because I know in my head that it's right and it's fair but it is hard it is hard to not judge other people it is hard not to put pressure on yourself but I think you're absolutely right like we we live in a world where there is so much pressure already just take everything one day at a time and just you do you you look you 
if you don't want to get dressed today, don't get dressed. If you want to get dressed and you want to go out for a walk, do that. If you want to get one of those running buggies, do that. That's definitely not me, but I know it worked for some people. And I've got a friend who was very, um, I think she was a, a bodybuilder before she had her baby. And she was so desperate to get back to running because that was her way of finding herself again. Whereas for me, I wasn't in that mindset at all and probably still I'm not now so I think you've got to take bits of who you are before a mum and find those and get back into those hobbies that's what really helped me actually I think the book really helped because I enjoyed writing yeah so though it ended up being helpful for other people it it helped me it was definitely therapy for me it's so real as it gets and and this brings me on to the kind of next part of about your book and for you Rebecca the focus of your book has always been about moving stories so can you tell us about some of these and why you chose these stories the book is in an alphabetical format so it's really easy to dip into and that's what I wanted the very very short paragraphs little snippets of information about different things postpartum so about your body about baby brain about go into classes and it's all put in an alphabetical structure one of the things that people have commented to me about um the book and and how it's made them actually quite emotional was when I spoke about myself and how it's changed me as a person and I think even now if I thought about it I'd probably get upset about it because you are a completely different person to the person you were before you had the baby. And even though you will still relate to that person, you'll still have some of the same interests. Your entire focus of your life becomes another person. And it, I, do, I do talk about grief in the book because I, I did grieve my old life. And I think now I'm accepting of the benefits of of being a mum and it, it is beautiful and like watching this little person develop is incredible but I, I think we need to accept and it's okay to suffer with post I mean I, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression because I, I really grieved who I was and I found it really boring and I, I just felt a bit I don't know how to put it suffocated maybe Whereas now I don't have time to be suffocated because she will sabotage my entire house if I take my eye off her for two minutes. So talking about your postpartum depression, how did you realise that you were suffering from this? Did you like a nurse or your health visitor diagnose you with this? Or did you think, actually, I'm not feeling right because for for us as um, single moms club and also for I'm a mum fix my life the podcast we are campaigners and advocates in our own way for mental health um, mm-hmm. awareness and that's one thing that we really like to make mums aware of as well and how they can help themselves if they're feeling emotional and many of the podcasts that we have covered cover this and it's a common theme that we find whether we're talking about finances to keeping yourself fit to we spoke to a a mother who has epilepsy we had um, a single Asian parent as well there's so many different topics we've covered so Mm -hmm. for you how how was that whole experience? When did you first realise this? 
Um, Isabel was probably about six months old and it was coming towards Christmas time and Danny and I were just at loggerheads all the time. We didn't speak about anything other than Isabel. We were constantly bickering about who's more tired, who's more exhausted, who has a a more difficult life because ultimately he saw me as sitting at home all day. I saw him doing nothing around the house and it was this constant conflict between us. And I remember going to the doctors and I think I had um, like a fungal toe infection, fungal nail infection. And I said to the woman, can you, can you talk about my fungal nail infection? Can we, can we have a look at this? And she could tell that I was there for something other than that. And she went, are you all right? And I just burst into tears. And she was like, I knew that it wasn't that toenail. And I was like, I know. And I didn't even think I was coming here to talk to you about how I feel, but I can't do this anymore. And it it was only when I accepted that I was miserable at home. And it wasn't Danny's fault and it wasn't my fault. It was just the situation was suffocating. I ended up getting referred to um, counselling initially. The woman who I saw at counselling was lovely, but she didn't have children herself. And I found it really difficult to connect with her because of that. She she was very sympathetic. She was really supportive. So I ended up going on um, sertraline, which is an antidepressant. And that helped me feel like myself again. And what's really, what I'm really, really passionate about, and I think if this book could bring light to any situation it would be that it's okay for you to need those drugs or for you need to talk to somebody or for you to just need to have a bit of time for yourself um I've I've started coming off the tablets now and it's interesting because I don't know whether there's like a placebo effect or whether I'm conscious of it but I do feel like I'm ready to come off them but it's taken me what nine months maybe And I'm still quite happy to go back on them if I need to. It's not a forever thing. You don't get addicted to them. There's absolutely no sign that people will get addicted to these antidepressants. You just need to do what is best for you. That's amazing. And that was bringing me on to my final question. Any more advice you like to give to to mums as well? So if, if there's anything else you'd want to say, Rebecca, that would be fantastic put yourself first that's so hard to say and I don't mean like have a bath go out for a spa day like literally little things like if you don't want visitors say no if you want to have a day sitting on the couch and just watching the tv and have cuddles with the baby then do that I think you need to put your own mental health first because I'm a much better mother now because I'm in a better place and that that includes me spending an hour sitting with you having a chat and talking about me and my life. And even though it always links back to Isabel, because it always does as a parent, I needed the ability to have a vent. And I think that that's what podcasts and that's what the the press stuff that I do is. Often it's a vent for me to be able to say, yeah, okay, that was tough. And then go back to being a a mom. Yeah. And your experience will help other mums as well and other people whether it's friends or family who are listening 
to this podcast as well. And and that's the whole idea of sharing your story and experiences and your amazing book, which I can't wait to read as well. So how can mums find out more about you and your book as well, Rebecca? So I'm on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, under at book mums, the word. Um, the book's available on Amazon. It's available in Waterstones. And I'm actually going to be doing um, the Baby and Toddler show, which is going to be online this year in October, November and December. So if anybody's got tickets there, then we're doing some kind of big giveaways and bundles and stuff then. So if they're there, then you'll see me online there. that's amazing so thanks so much for joining us today Rebecca we hope that this podcast will be a help to prepare all mums for every new experience they encounter in the first year of parenthood see you all on the next podcast thank you very much thank you 